So tonight we're actually going to begin a series from the New Testament. Uh, it's a series from the Gospels, and even more narrow than that, we're going to zoom in on Jesus' parables. And we're going to do this for the next several weeks. Jesus claimed to be many things when he was here with us on this earth. He claimed to be the Son of God. Um, he claimed to be Savior and Judge of the world. But he also claimed to be a rabbi, a, a teacher. Uh, I mean, people referred to him as that. Sometimes, when Jesus taught as a rabbi, sometimes he taught just with a direct command. Remember, I think in January, we looked at the Lord's Prayer. The disciples asked Jesus, how should we pray? And Jesus said, this is how you ought to pray. And then he gives the Lord's Prayer, just a sort of a direct command. This is how you pray. Here's the model prayer. Uh, sometimes when he performed like a miraculous act, Jesus would use that as an opportunity to teach something about himself. So he feeds the 5,000 with... Uh, just a few loaves of bread, this miraculous thing that he does. Um, and then, um, immediately on the heels of that, he starts talking to the crowds about how he is the bread of life. And he's the bread of life who has come down from heaven to give us life. Right? So he uses like, miraculous acts to teach, teach us things about himself. Uh, but one of the very common go-tos for Jesus is to teach using parables. Um, a parable is simply put, just a story that communicates truths about God and about us. And the, the bottom line is that parables are they're, they're stories. They're, it's a very effective way to teach. I mean, it, it, they're effective because, you know, stories are engaging. So fact, over 160 million people uh, have purchased copies of Harry Potter books, right? Like $8 billion worth of Harry Potter books are out there sitting on shelves. <laughs> So that's just evidence that stories are engaging, <laughs> at least to 160 million people with Harry Potter series. Uh, we love stories. They engage us. Um, we, get, we love getting pulled into them, drawn into the world. Uh, but not only are stories engaging, they also have the potential to change us, to transform us. And this is where parables can be very unique. They can really reshape the way that we think and transform the way that we live. Uh, take immigration, for example. A very difficult topic today. Uh, somebody could list a bunch of facts um, and a bunch of data about immigration trends and policy, right? And my guess is that if, you know, we were confronted with that, very few of us would change our minds about what we think, you know, our convictions about that particular important subject. But if we actually sat down and listened to somebody's personal story about immigration, uh, their experience, their joys, their frustrations, that story could potentially change us in ways that facts and data sometimes just don't, right? So we get it. Stories are engaging, but they also have the potential to change and transform us in the way that we think and live. And so Jesus is aware of this. He's aware of the power of stories, aware of the power of parables. And that's one of the reasons that he frequently goes to and uses parables when he teaches. So that's what we'll be doing for the next several Friday nights, and we're going to park ourselves right here in Jesus' parables. Um, we're going to take three steps tonight. Here's the title, The Scandal of Grace, The Amazing But Difficult Grace of God, and the parable is found there in Matthew 20. We'll get to that in a second, but so the three steps we're going to take tonight. Step one, I'm, I'm going to challenge you with a warm-up story. Um, it, and then the second step is we'll, we'll, we'll then turn to Jesus' parable, and then the third and final step is we'll explore takeaways or lessons from the parable that Jesus has for us tonight. So a first step, it's a warm-up story. Yeah. This is to stir up your emotions. This is going to completely dovetail and connect to Jesus' parable. All right. So there's an image of a gift. You're all ready. Imagine, now this is an exercise in your imagination. Imagine that you're an eight-year-old child again, okay? 
And it, out of the blue, it's not Christmas, it's not your birthday, no, no significant occasion, but out of the blue, your mom or your dad, uh, they, they just decide to give you a gift. And there's that gift, it's like, you know, the paper's nice and tight, wrapped perfectly, you can't see the tape, bow on, you know, okay. <laughs> just it's like there's a gift, and it's just out of the blue. Um, and, you, you know, you, you, how do you feel in that moment? Right? And we just, okay. And then you start to unwrap it, and sure enough, it's, it's a, you can fill in the blank. Whatever it is, when you were eight years old, you really wanted Legos, like art supplies. Like, yeah, Legos. <laughs> the engineers in the room are saying, yeah, Legos. <laughs> right. No, a bike. I don't, you know, I don't know. So imagine that's what you get. You get what you've been wanting, right? And so you feel joy, contentment, pleasure, excitement. Like, you get just all that stuff. Gratitude. Easy story. But now, here is the twist. So, Robbie, next slide. Ah, okay. So, after like a minute of like, you know, you're, you're holding your new thing and you're like imagining yourself playing with it or you're thinking about how you're going to play with it, now, after you have about two minutes of that, your parents pull out two more gifts and they call your slightly older brother or sister into the room and they present them with these nice two gifts, right? <laughs> and it's it, it's no occasion, it's not Christmas, it's not their birthday, it's just here's two gifts for your older brother or older sister, right? Now, how do you feel? And be honest, <laughs> right? You're like, well, wait a second, like, I got one gift and I was happy, but now I'm not very happy. I'm discontent, I'm confused, maybe even a little bit angry. Like, honestly, what we should feel is like, mom, dad, like, I, thank, when you gave me that gift, I had so much joy, and now my joy is complete because you're giving two gifts to my older brother. So I, my joy, I didn't think I could feel so much joy. No! If <laughs> you think you would feel that way, you just lie like a dog. <laughs> no way. Right? Probably what you would say to your mom and dad is, what would you say? Yeah, there you are. Yeah. Calvin, here's Calvin from Calvin Hobbes. It's not fair. Probably the first words out of our mouth as an eight-year-old child, and the first words in our mind as an adult, even though we filter it and we keep it in, would be, it's not fair. So, you know, we have a, a strong, oh, there's, oh, there, I have another picture, right? This is, I, I just found this. There's like, like, the, like the little kid right there, if, if, if this older kid with the big piece of cake wasn't there, he'd be so happy, but it's because of that that there's that, that, that pouty face, right? We have a strong sense of what is fair and what is right, and what we think we deserve. And sometimes our sense of fairness takes us in a very, very good direction, right? If we see injustice, then we want to correct it. And that is good. That is right. But sometimes our sense of fair takes us in a bad direction, just like we're pointing out, bitterness, jealousy, despair. <coughs> like, well, how come they got two toys and I only got one? Or how come he got an A and I got a C? Right. How, how come she's first chair violin and not me? Why don't I get that internship? Because I'm more qualified than the person who got it. Like, it just, there's a sense of fairness that can take us to difficult places. You get the idea. So this now takes us to the second step. So go ahead, Robbie. Um, so there's the first story, the emotional story. And here's the second step. Jesus gives a parable along these lines. Right? And, and so let's listen to Jesus' parable and let it challenge us and drive home the true meaning of grace in a deeper way. Because in this parable, you're going to see that grace and fairness are portrayed as opposites. 
Okay? So Jesus tells us a parable for us to understand that the kingdom of heaven is not based on what is fair, on what we think we deserve, but instead the kingdom of heaven is based on grace. So here we go. This is found in Matthew 20. Let me read Jesus' parable to us. He says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. And after agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard, presumably to work. So in Jesus' day, right, harvest time was a, it was a time of employment opportunity. And if you had a crop like this, uh, this man does, like this owner does, you, you had to get it in as quickly as possible because of weather and insects and whatever. And so you would go out to the marketplace, and in, from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m., there would be employees gathered in the marketplace looking to be hired for the day. And, and there they are early in the morning, that's 6 a.m., and, and it's like a job fair, and the employer would just show up and say, you, 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 you come with me. And then they, they would agree upon a price, that's what verse 2 tells us, the price was a denarius. This is like a day's wage that was enough or sufficient for your daily bread, just like we prayed in the Lord's Prayer last month. Give us this day the daily bread. But, so that, that, that's the opening of the parable that Jesus gives. But this vineyard owner, you know, he gets some employees at 6 a.m., but now he wants more, so we move on, probably. And going out about the third hour, 9 a.m., he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And so to them, he said, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went, going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he, the landowner, did the same. So the landowner goes out at 9 a.m. to gather more employees. I guess they weren't there at 6, or they weren't chosen at 6. 9 a.m. is like, this is when like the college students start getting out of bed. Right? <laughs> when now? No. <laughs> okay, I guess you're, you're coming. Yeah, you're like the more the 6th or the ninth hour. Right? It's not clear, were these 9 a.m.ers, these noon people, were they lazy? And they weren't there at 6 a.m. to get the work? Were they, were, were they not chosen? It's not clear. All we know is that they didn't have an opportunity to work, but now they do. And the field owner promises to pay them, quote, whatever is right, even though it is not a complete day's worth of work. All right? And the owner does the same thing at, at noon and at 3 p.m. And, uh, and then in verse 6, at the 11th hour, the owner goes out to the market plat marketplace one last time to make one final hiring move. So, Robbie, this is verse 6. Yep. So, in about the 11th hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? And they said to him, well, because no one has hired us. And he said to them, you go into the vineyard too. And if you've ever wondered where the expression the 11th hour comes from, it's right here. Right? Now you know. Presumably these people, you know, they would have gone to bed with an empty stomach. But they were rescued by the landowner in the 11th hour, last minute, um, quitting time practically. So these latecomers, they join the other workers in the field until it's 6 p.m., until the working day is over and it's now time to get paid. So we move on. So then when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers in and pay them their wages, beginning with the last and then moving up to the first. And when those hired about the 11th hour came, and they were standing in line first to get paid, each of them received a denarius, right? A full day's worth 
of working wage. Proper protocol is that the people who would come to get paid first, the, the people who, who came first get paid first, but the, the landowner and the foreman totally flip that around. The last people go first in line, and the owner, the owner instructs the foreman to do this. And in a remarkable act of generosity, I mean, you just can't miss it in Jesus' parable, the owner pays the latecomers the full day's wage, like 12 times more than what they deserved. 12 times more than what was fair or right. Okay? Now, imagine the effect that this would have on the early risers, the 6 a.m.ers. Right? They, at the back of the line, maybe start elbowing each other. Did you see that? Wow. I wonder what we're going to get now. Right? This is a good day. <laughs> and then when it's their turn to get paid, they get exactly what the owner promised to pay them, one denarius and nothing more. So, Robbie, now when the fir those first hired came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. So at 6 a.m., these early risers, they were totally content, totally happy. They agreed. They signed the dotted line in the marketplace. Yes, we will go work in your field from 6 to 6 for that wage, right? But then when they saw the landowner's sort of generosity and, and pulling out of his wealth and riches to bestow that generosity on those who don't deserve it, on those where it wasn't fair, as soon as they saw that, that's what made them grumble. That's what made them discontent and scream, basically, it's not fair. And the owner gets the final word, however, this is the end of Jesus' parable, but he, the landowner, replied to one of them, friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? So take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I, as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? And then Jesus closes with these words. So the last will be first, and the first will be last. So there's Jesus' parable. And just let that settle in for a moment. Like, what do you think? You know, how, do you, how do you react to that? You know, what sorts of emotions do you feel? I mean, Jesus brings up a number of characters for us to consider. The latecomer, you know, the 11th hour person, then there's like the eager beaver, right? the, the, the 6 a.m.er, and then there's the strange, unconventional, eccentric employer. Um, and I'm going to look at each of these, these characters in terms of in thinking about the lessons that we can learn from each of these characters. So this is our third and final step. Let's look at these characters and consider, consider the lessons. So the latecomer, the takeaway lesson. This is the one that shows up at the 11th hour. Today, we would call him the slacker, right? <laughs> Such a great word, <laughs> slacker. Now, this is the one who shows up the night before a group project is due <laughs> and says, hey, I'm here, what can I do? <laughs> oh, yeah. I <laughs> this has clearly happened to a number of people in the room. This is the one who asks, you know, can I copy your homework now that you're finished with it? Right? This is also the one who's watching football on the couch and then moves into the kitchen on Thanksgiving Day and says, you know, look, I'm here. How can I help clean up? But all the dishes are done. They're all put away. Right? 
this is the, the slacker. This is the latecomer. Like, what is the life lesson that the latecomer teaches us? And it's the kingdom of God is based on God's grace. And it is God's prerogative to dispense that grace as he pleases and to whom he pleases. And, and then one more thing in that lesson. It's God's grace is not fairness. It's grace. It, it's getting what you don't deserve. Fairness is getting exactly what you do deserve. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. The latecomer doesn't deserve what he receives from the employer. So clear. But the employer goes so far beyond what is fair and what is right. And if you call yourself a Christian, you have to identify with the latecomer. Have to. Because it is by grace that we have received God's gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. All of us. We know that God, he has not given us what we deserve, what is fair and just for us. Yeah. Can you imagine praying to God, like asking God, I want you to treat me perfectly just and fair. Something along the lines of like, dear Lord, I, I pray that you examine my life, my words, my heart, my actions. Examine them all and give me exactly what I deserve at all places and at all times. Like, he, he, like, if you haven't prayed much, don't pray that prayer. <laughs> but if God judged us with pure justice and strict fairness, none of us could stand before him. And so one of the deep notes of this parable is grace. It's God's amazing grace to us that he does not treat us as our sins deserve. And the reality of this world, you know this, is that we typically live in a world full of merit and ability. We have to earn our way into the honors classes or the AP classes. We have to prove our merit by building our resume, getting into a good college, getting a good job, getting a promotion. And so most of the time, that's how we swim. We swim in sort of the water of merit. But it is so beautiful. These, these moments of grace do break into our life, whoever you are. It is so beautiful when it does. Like a friend or a sibling forgives you when you've wronged them. You don't deserve that, but there it is. There's that, that grace extended. Or, or you ruin somebody's possession, whether it's on purpose or by an accident, and they say, there's no need to pay me back. Right? Or you forget to do something, you, like you fail in some sort of responsibility, but then a coworker or a friend steps in and does it for you. And they don't, do it about, they don't complain, and they don't, they, you know, they, don't, they don't hold a grudge against you. Like those are moments of grace. And we love it when we're the recipients of those types of moments. It is harder, I would say downright difficult, to see others, like 11th hour others, receive grace. And so I just, I, this is going to take a few minutes, and I, I'm going to press us here. And it's some of the difficulty and the challenge, because it, it's here in Jesus' parable. Okay, so three people, Rob, you can go to the next slide. Three people who, who, who highlight the amazing aspect of God's grace, but yet the difficult nature of God's grace. So Corey Tim Boom, top left. Um, people familiar with her? She grew up in Holland. Um, she's written a few books. Yeah, I see some people shaking their heads. But she hid Jews, and then she and her sister were arrested by the Nazis and taken to a concentration camp in Germany at Ravensbrück. Um, her sister actually died in the camp, but Corey survived. And then in 1947, two years after the war, Corey's a Christian, and so she was sharing the, the news of the gospel in Germany to a group of German citizens. And after her 
you know, her, her, she, she was done giving her message. When it was over, a man came walking up to her and said, I was at the, the concentration camp in Ravensburg. I was one of the Nazi guards there. And you, and this is what he said to her, you were talking about how God can take our sins and cast them into the sea, into the ocean, so that they're hidden and gone forever. And, and Corrie Tin Boom said, I believe that when God does that, he then places a sign out there in the sea that says, no fishing allowed. Like, you can't bring those sins back. <laughs> right? That was her message that day in Germany. And the man said, he said, since my time as a Nazi soldier at that camp, I have become a Christian, and I have come to believe exactly what you were talking about. And in that moment, Corrie Tin Boom realized, okay, do I believe that the gospel of grace is not just for me, but for the very man who has perpetrated evil to so many, that his God's grace can extend to him too. So Rachel Denhollander, the woman on the bottom, she was a national class gymnast. I see some of you shaking your heads that you know who she is. She was one of the first ones to come out and accuse Larry Nasser, a doctor of the women's national gymnast team of sexual abuse. And since she has done this, many other women have stepped forward courageously and bravely to accuse Dr. Nasser of the same. But again, as a Christian, because Rachel's a Christian, she had to wrestle with the same difficult question, is, is God's grace also some, for somebody like Dr. Nasser? And in fact, Rachel will be on our campus in a few weeks, I think in early March, and you can come and hear what she has to say. And it's a good thing to invite your friends to as well. But just listen to what she said when Dr. Nasser was on trial and she had her moment in court to speak. She says to him, I pray you experience the soul-crushing weight of guilt so that you may experience someday true repentance and true forgiveness from God, which you need far more than forgiveness from me, though I extend that to you as well. And finally, just one more example. The the gentleman in the top right putting his arm around one of his um, congregants. He's, this is William McKinnon. He's a pastor of a church in Jacksonville, Florida. And he tells a story of how uh, it was actually last, I think last Easter, or maybe two Easter's ago, that um, as he was preaching, um, a gentleman and his wife came walking in, and it turned out that that gentleman was a former KKK member. Um, he has since turned away from the KKK and a whole life of racism and, and hatred and bigotry. But he, that gentleman was there to truly worship Jesus and to seek him and to be a member of this church. And William had to come just the same type of question of like, okay, here I am. I'm a preacher of God's grace. Can God's grace extend to a man like this as well? And, and, these are the 11th hour people, and I even question, should I bring up such emotional things tonight? Because like, this is hard. I get it. But then I thought, no, this is what Jesus is communicating in his parable. He wants us to see that God's grace is amazing. And we are so quick to embrace how amazing God's grace is when it's for us. But God's grace is for everyone. And these three individuals, they're unbelievable testimonies to that. They, they, through their lives, they see that God's grace is for every single person. Anyone who would choose to embrace it, to turn away from their old life, and to walk and to follow Christ in the newness of life that he gives. Right? 
So, you know, put yourself in their shoes and think about how difficult God's grace can be sometimes. Um, and, 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 you know, we can and should still believe in earthly consequences. Like, don't, for bring up these examples, don't hear me saying, like, that the earth, like, that Dr. Nasser shouldn't face earthly consequences. No, I think he should be punished and he should feel the weight of justice for the things that he's done. But what this parable is telling us is that God's grace can reach him if he accepts it. So we believe in God's amazing and difficult grace. So that's, that's the first lesson um, from the latecomers. Now let's consider another lesson, this time from the eager beaver, the, the character who shows up at 6 a.m. ready to go. This is not. This is the opposite of the slacker. This is the teacher's pet. You know, the one who works hard, does the right thing, is totally responsible. But this, at least in this parable, this leads this person to a dangerous place. He thinks that he's worked, that since he's worked for his employer longer, that he deserves more, that he's entitled to more. He's operating on work or, or on principles of rank and merit. So there's a, there's a flip lesson. Um, there's a flip side to the latecomer. If the latecomer teaches us that the kingdom of God is based on God's grace and generosity, then the eager beaver teaches us that the dangerous places that we can go is like, when we no longer relate to God based on grace. But we, we relate to him based on merit and fairness. So the, this eager beaver, he was content and satisfied with his employer's income on that, that the early part of the day. But then as soon as he saw the latecomer receive that denarius, you know, his expectations were heightened. You know, aha, the employer ought to give me something more. The employer now owes me. I deserve something more from my employers, something greater than what was agreed upon. And then when the employer didn't meet those heightened expectations, unhappiness, grumbling, bitterness, disappointment, anger, all came to resolve. And the lesson here is when we lose sight of God's grace, we slip into the attitudes of entitlement and ingratitude. And here's, here's how this happened to me at one time in my life. Um, I was in my 20s. I'm a school teacher in Oklahoma. I was teaching middle schoolers. Um, and I feel like, okay, if you teach 13-year-olds math, like, you are fulfilling Princeton's call to, like, be in service of all the nations. <laughs> I was a faithful member of a church. I was serving there. I was trying to do good in the community. I was a faithful friend, a faithful son, a faithful brother. I was giving sacrificially. I was a courageous witness to my colleagues, my co-workers most of the time. I was trying to honor Christ in all that I was doing. But then here's how this attitude crept into my heart and worked in my heart. God, look at all these things that I'm doing for you, and look at how I'm living for you. But yet I am so frustrated that for years and years and years, I, I, I haven't had a girlfriend, I haven't, I haven't had any dates, and, and I'm lonely. And, and you can see that I long for companionship, God. But I, and I never said these words audibly, but I, the, the Holy Spirit, after a few years, you know, exposed my heart and I could see it. I, could, I would basically was saying to God, I'm angry with you because I feel like the least that you could do for me is grant me this, this desire of my heart. I feel like you, you owe it to me after all that I, I'm trying to do for you. 
And please hear me. There's a big difference between being disappointed with God or, or experiencing sadness because God has not granted you a certain gift. I think that's natural. I think that's real and understandable. But that's not what I'm talking about here. I, I, I was beyond disappointed and sad. I, I was ungrateful and angry and feeling entitled. And it is so easy to take the difficulties and the disappointments of life and to turn them back on God and say, you know, what are you doing, God? Don't you see that I deserve better than this? Is there any way that you are approaching God that way? An approach of, like, if I just do this and this and this, then I think God should give me what I really want. You know, that, that perfect internship or that relationship that I'm longing for or that job or my foot in the door with this circle of people. I, I, you know, this attitude is really hard to detect. I could not see it in myself, but God, through his Holy Spirit, you know, exposed it in me. And God continues to do that through his Spirit in me. But what about you? Have you seen that attitude? And look carefully, because it's probably there. A few of you, maybe not. But I, I think most of us, it's there. It's just so hidden. So find it with God's help, with the help of others as well. And remember the complaints of this eager beaver. Like, you have made them equal to us, and we have borne the burden of the day in the scorching heat. Right? It is so easy to fall into that attitude of, I've been faithful to you, God. I've been working hard for you. I've been trying to honor you. And so because of that, I should have X or Y or Z. But when we relate to God on the basis of his grace, it means that we cannot manipulate God or make him owe us anything. So, one final lesson. Let's consider the lesson of the eccentric employer or the unconventional employer, right? The owner of the vineyard. I describe him as eccentric because he does not run his, his business on typical business principles. If this, if this guy were to go to any MBA program in the, the world, he would fail out. This is not the way you run a business. He could write a book, something along the lines of like how to bankrupt your business quickly in 10 <laughs> short steps. <laughs> but like this is not a sustainable business model, what he is doing. Right? The employer is essentially giving workers a gracious gift. Uh, and, but note that this gift, it, it is not free. Right? It comes at a cost, not a cost to the employee. They receive out of his riches, but it comes at a cost to the employer. He has to give out of his generous riches. And here's the lesson for us. By his grace, God is willing to personally bear the cost of what it takes to make us citizens of his kingdom. See, in this parable, we catch a glimpse of Jesus, of his love for us, and that he's willing to give up something that is of great value to him, of great cost to him, and that's his very life. And, and he's willing to do this in order to give us the gracious gift of salvation, forgiveness. And, and in order to receive God's grace, Jesus has to take upon himself the fair and just wage, I'll use that language, that God ought to pay to us. It's a punishment for our sins. The pay we deserve from God is a guilty judgment as sinners who have not lived up to how he's created us to live. But by dying on the cross, Jesus takes our place, he takes our guilt, our shame upon himself, 
and he receives the fair and just penalty for our sins. So you see, God is fair. God is just. It's just that his justice and fairness was deflected away from us, and it rested on Jesus upon the cross. And through faith in him and what he's done for us, now we receive, out of the riches of God's grace, we receive forgiveness and new life in Christ. We don't get what we deserve. Instead, we receive grace. And I was thinking about this. This parable, it is so different from our current cultural moment. Our current cultural moment is, is you make one mistake, one wrong move, and there is like a Twitter storm of shame that just comes down upon you. Can I just give you two really quick examples? You're familiar with this. Football fans, the Saints-Rams game from several weeks ago, okay, the Saints basically, they lost the game, and the Rams won, and the Rams won the Super Bowl. But the Saints lost the game because toward the end of the game, the refs missed a very clear, they blew, they blew a, just an obvious penalty, obvious foul. Um, and because of that, the Rams won and the Saints lost. The Saints should have won. And everybody's admitted it. But like the next day, there was just sports radio, TV shows, newspaper articles, everywhere. People were calling for, like, the firing of these referees, that they should, like, never ref again. And, and then there was just, like, heaps and heaps of shame for, for like, how badly they missed the call. Um, a couple years ago, 2017, this is example number two, 2017 Academy Awards, where there was the blown envelope. This is not the blown call in the football field, but the blown envelope. Remember, like, there was the best picture, like, the, uh, the, 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 the moment of tension, and... They open up the envelope and they say, okay, La La Land wins best picture. And then like the people from La La Land come up and they're giving like their acceptance speech and all that. And then all of a sudden somebody comes running out and says, no, 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 that was the wrong envelope. And they, they give the, the, the correct envelope and then was it Moonlight, right? That one, best picture. Um, but again, like the very next day, people were calling for like, who arranges these envelopes? This should never work again. Like, what company does this? Like, they should be fired from ever doing anything with the Academy Awards again. It just it was one mistake, and it was over. So our current cultural moment is you make one mistake, and there is no grace whatsoever. Only fairness, justice, and public shaming, you know, thrown in. And this parable, Jesus says, like, look at God. The God who made us, the God who sustains us, and the one that we all have to get him an account to someday, he is so different than our current cultural moment. You, you make one mistake and no grace whatsoever? No, that is not who God is. Praise God, he is not that way. God is a God of remarkable grace. God's amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. But how sweet the sound that saves other wretches like me and me too. Let's pray. Lord God, your grace is amazing. And it, it is because of that that we can stand before you with confidence. Through faith in Christ, that we can stand before you with confidence that we are free given, cleansed, unashamed, we 
can now walk in a newness of life, resurrected life that Christ brings. Lord, this is extraordinary grace. We do not deserve this at all, but yet you extend it. It is your delight and joy to extend such grace to such undeserving people. I pray that you would, by your grace, that you would strengthen us to not fall into ingratitude or feelings of entitlement or bitterness, but that we would continue to live before you on the basis of grace and continue to be captured and amazed by your grace as well. I especially pray this here at the beginning of the semester as we make fresh commitments, have fresh starts. Lord, I pray that we would not wander away from who you are, and how you have graciously loved us in Christ, and that you now call us your own, and call us to live for you. Lord, please fill us with your spirit so that we might be people like that. We pray all this in Jesus' name.